Hey, what are you doing here? We have to drive back here because some schmuck stole the VCR from the common room. Oh, look at him. It's a great movie. For a class just finished. We're out of here. Forty grand a year to watch old movies? Forty grand a year to watch old movies, indeed. Welcome back to Cut to Black. It feels like it's been so long. Jacob Burrows, that is your quick little teaser preview of Sopranos season three for you. Yeah, wow. That was like a glimpse of the future. I, I got to glimpse Meadow. She's even older now. Oh, how weird. And indeed, 40 grand. Who would pay that when you can watch old movies for free on Shows What You Know, a.k.a. Cut to Black, a soprano sit down. And it does feel like it's been forever because for you, our dear listener, oh, it's been seamless. Episode after episode, <laughs> they just appear on the feed. For us, we've had to take a bit of a break. And it, I, I, I'm really glad we could do it like between seasons because it... it we could take a break. Now we're doing The Public Enemy, in case you didn't know. And then we're going to get back into Season 3 next week. Um, Jim, how are you feeling? I am feeling good. Now, we, now, if you're new to this podcast, we do discuss every episode of The Sopranos, or we're in the midst of it. I have seen every episode. Jacob Burrows is on his first watch through. And yes, in between seasons, we take a small little uh, exit ramp off the New Jersey Turnpike where we watch something in the gangster slash genre, what have you, that is related to Sopranos. And for people that do, for people that are in the know, The Public Enemy does play prominent in one of the episodes of season three, which we will eventually get to. But for now, we're talking just the picture here. Now, this is a, a 1931 uh, talkie, as they say, uh, mm -hmm. directed by William Wellman, uh, written by, let me see here, who we got, who we got, who wrote it? Uh, uh, John Bright, Kubik Glassmon, and screen adaptation by Harvey Thu. Now, this is kind of... Uh, now, I haven't watched any of these classic gangster movies, uh, if I'm being honest here. I've never watched, like, the original Scarface. I've never watched Little Caesar, uh, you know, uh, some of these other James Cagney movies. So this was kind of a revelation for me. It was kind of interesting to go back and see how... The gangster film really like the the basics I, are there from the beginning. Yeah, I was gonna say it hasn't changed at all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> like when you go into these old movies, um, I mean, this is a it's a really old one. Like it's it's just a like imagine now like a, how many years has it been since like Avengers came out? Like we're recording this in 2018. It's been a lot of years since Avengers came out. Like, that amount of time back then, it's like, oh, movies, you couldn't talk in a movie, and then, like, they're making this. And uh, not to say that it's the, you know, hugest cinematic masterpiece ever, but like you said, uh, the pieces are all there already on the board, and uh, they got the gangster story down, basically. Yes, yeah, and this is even, like, um, I don't know a lot of my film history, which kind of shame on me, at least from this time frame because when i was reading a bit up on it a lot of people are talking about the Hayes code or the motion picture production code and this is kind of pre the Hayes code or was like the Hayes code was being uh written and brought up but it wasn't fully enforced till 1934 and that was kind of more like uh, limiting violence and sex and drugs and of course a lot of like interracial 
uh, sex relationships could not be shown, or children's sex organs, which I guess is still a thing. Well, yeah, uh, that one's all right. <laughs> We're fine with that still. Still haven't lifted the ban on that one. Although um, uh, willful offense to any nation, race, or creed. I mean, that's kind of interesting. They're, they're kind of uh, that in addition to white slavery. Um, but this is, yeah, this is pre-code. So it, it, I guess it did get away with a lot more than some of the movies even a few more, a few years later. Yeah, much like the early days of the internet, it was a Wild West before they, and they made some Westerns, incidentally, but it was a Wild West before they clamped down and made everything controlled, and yeah, you think there might be freedom here on the internet, but it's all part of the machine, man, and they made Hollywood part of the machine uh, by censoring everything. This was also the time, you know, like, I, I had to look up as well, even though I have watched Boardwalk Empire didn't watch the last season but i have watched boardwalk empire and uh you know prohibition and all that is a big part of this uh film and uh, i still had to look it up and like it's not like they're making a retrospective prohibition was still going on when they put this out you know yes i mean and that's why it, it is it is great how the movie starts and ends with like this uh disclaimer basically yeah. of uh you know these types of people they're uh, actually let me see they're rotten to the core yeah like Uh, watch out ladies and gentlemen for men like this and then like showing how badass it is for like an hour and 15 minutes and then like don't do that (laughs) like (laughs) yeah it is the ambition of the authors of the public enemy to honestly depict the environment that exists today in a certain strata of american life rather than glorify the hoodlum or the criminal well, the story of the public enemy is essentially a true story. All names and characters appearing herein are fictional. Um, and yeah, let me pull up. What was the end? The end one was even another. Like it really was. The whole movie was like, this guy's cool. He's great. I mean, he does meet a uh, you know a tragic ending, but they still have to be like, I know that looked cool, but this is not how you want to <laughs> live. Uh, let me just find it real fast. Yeah, which, you know, that also is weirdly familiar with, I don't know, video games or whatever, where it's like, uh, you just throw a little on there of like, well, yeah, but don't actually be a gangster, though, (laughs) because, you know, it'll be bad, but it's still cool. And that part definitely relates to The Sopranos. I'm going to try to make some connections here. Definitely relates to The Sopranos and how, like, every character thinks Tony's hella cool, but they're afraid of him. Like, they despise him, but they respect him. uh, And everyone wants to be connected to the mob one way or another uh, because it's hella cool, but also dirty, but so cool in the movies. And at the same time this is like one of the movies not on its own but like it's one of the movies solidifying the myth of what a gangster was because maybe i don't know maybe there were like paperbacks like penny dreadfuls about gangsters or whatever <laughs> yeah. but much like the western it's like this is when they're setting the myth into stone or into uh you know film well and especially like you said because it's like they're talking about things that are just happening now uh well not now but in the time that the movie was made so yeah i'm sure there were books about gangsters or like cowboys were a type of gangster if they were a dark cowboy or a dark jedi uh but this was uh, uh for the time this is just things happening, you know, out, outside your window. Uh, the end of Tom Powers is the end of every hoodlum. The public enemy is not a man, nor is it a character. It is a problem that sooner or later we, the public, must solve. Right. Um, and, yeah, to relate it back to The Sopranos, now David Chase, 
um, does reference the public enemy as one of the first gangster movies he ever saw and uh, like a big influence on the Sopranos. And I mean, clearly Junior's pie in the face is the grapefruit in the face the famous scene from this movie where he shoves a grapefruit in his girlfriend's face because he's like annoyed with her. And I guess yeah. at the time it did bring out women's groups were protesting at this violence that was happening um, to this actress. Right. Yeah, that's something I didn't react to in the movie, except I did react like, that was fucking weird. <laughs> uh, and then I like you go to the Wikipedia. There's a whole section about the grapefruit scene and was it planned? Was it not planned? Yes, yeah. By the way, we're hoping that you've watched The Public Enemy if you're tuning into this. <laughs> if not, uh, it's okay. We're going to go through it. It's a gangster movie. It's pretty much about what you expect it's about. We may go into some details, but uh, yeah, the grapefruit scene is probably the most important detail of all. Yeah, I mean, even if you haven't seen it, you've seen The Sopranos. You've seen Uncle Junior in season one when he pushes the lemon meringue pie in his uh-huh. girlfriend's face it's basically a nice homage to that and yeah the big discussion is some people say it was planned uh other people say that they were both in on it yeah may clark and james cagney uh were the actors obviously supposedly she was in on it and that it was only going to be a goof for the crew but then other people say no the uh the director um uh, not the director or one of the writers Basically, like, his wife would eat a grapefruit every morning and he always wanted to shove it in her face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it, it's like... Oh, wait, no, he, it was the director. Went, yeah. Yeah, and he went to the movies. Uh, the myth says he went to the movies every day and then what, he knew the exact time that scene would happen and went in and imagined... Or maybe, no, it was the actress's uh, husband, ex-husband, yes. right? Yeah, at first <laughs> it went that the director said that he added the grapefruit hitting scene because... He and his wife at time would get into fights and she would never talk or give an expression. And she always mm-hmm. had a grapefruit for breakfast and he always wanted to put the grapefruit in her face just to get a reaction. So she would show some emotion. He felt that the scene gave him the opportunity to rid himself of that temptation. And yes, James Cagney, according to him, the legend goes, is that May Clark's ex-husband, yes, had timed out the scene or he would buy a ticket and just go into the theater to watch his ex-wife get a grapefruit stuff stuffed in her face and then he would leave and come back later to watch it again there's no way that's true (laughs) but i just love that he made that up (laughs) because it's like it's a good such a good story and uh yeah indeed this is the most important part of the movie so we'll be spending about 80 90 percent of the podcast discussing the grapefruit scene and actually uh one of the kind of i mean it's a part of the movie but it's not a big part of the movie uh watching it but but only knowing of it through through the realm of Sopranos originally, because what Chase, what uh, David Chase talks about is that he thought about this movie because he remembers the mother in the movie and how sweet she was to her son, and it was the very opposite of how Livia Soprano was to Tony, yeah. and he thought about how that. I mean, this is getting into. I mean, it's not really spoilers. It's just there's there's an episode where Tony kind of digs into this movie a little bit here and there. And, uh, you know, David Chase thought a lot about how that would affect Tony because his relationship with his mother and it's the opposite. And it is interesting yeah. how it plays through this film because uh, she's all like it's clear that that Tommy is her favorite because we, we have the two brothers. We have Tommy and Mike. And Tommy is just the the brash gangster who kind of looks down on his brother for being like 
getting a legit job, going to night school, enlisting in the army, like doing all the stuff you're supposed yeah. to do. But they He's never learning how to be poor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. He always has comments about it. But then it's weird because they never really have the Michael character react to the fact that he's clearly not the favorite in his mother's eyes. Um, mm. And I guess maybe if you read between the lines, not that I don't know if the subtext, I mean, the subtext is there that maybe that's why he's doing all these things right, that he is trying to be the perfect son because he's trying to live up to his mother in, in his mother's eyes to show that he's just as good or something. Uh, I mean, I could be throwing that in where it's not really there on the screen, but you could pick it up from the characters, I suppose. Yeah, we also have the influence of the father who's really only seen, if I remember right, in the beginning because we start out with these characters as kids. Yes. Our our main character, Tommy, does something bad, steals some roller skates for Matt's sister or (laughs) whatever it was he's being punished for and gets punished for it. And uh, I'm sure that influenced... I mean, that influenced Tommy to go one way and his brother to go the other way, um, basically. Yes, and and that's another piece of this movie I was kind of surprised with because it's such a great um, part of a of not every gangster movie, but a lot of them, whether it be that we start with these characters as children and seeing them kind of uh, dance with the idea of being like a hoodlum or a criminal and then how that grows or we at least get a flashback because, I mean, even in, in the, the realm of Sopranos, we do get to see Tony as a young kid. And it, it was interesting to me to see that even in this movie from the 30s, they play with that and we get to see him as kids. And then it's kind of how it grows into being, you know, a, a gangster, basically. Yeah, I mean, if I'm being honest, when the film started, uh I was a little worried <laughs> uh, just because it like starts with a shaky uh, pan like they like they couldn't pan right. I guess the cameras were like, you know, 20 pounds or whatever or more. Uh, so, so there's that. And then there's these kids, kid actors who are sort of playing their roles, kind of like Little House on the Prairie style. And you watch out, Tommy, you're going to get what's coming to you one yeah. day. And little did he know how true that was. Um, but yeah, as we progress into them. Uh, growing up, they they I mean they're they're still hanging out with this character Putty Nose. I also love the <laughs> nicknames. Uh, and Nails Nathan is another great one. Um, but yeah, hanging out with Putty Nose and stealing stuff from when they were kids, and then they start growing up and grow past him. Um, it's like you said, seeing the evolution of it makes it a lot more interesting than just having like this is the cool gangster character. Yeah, and that's almost the case in every gangster movie because you're always like entering the world of being a gangster and reaching like reaching for what what you wanted and then seeing like oh what I wanted it came with a price. It's like basic story structure stuff, but it works. Yeah. Well, I was actually surprised with like some of the action in the beginning when they are kids, like there's like a chase scene kind of, and then they're sliding down the, the uh, stairs and stuff. Like, I guess it's because I have such, uh, like <laughs> no real respect for the old. I, I just assume all old movies are just a camera stationary. And then people just talking <laughs> into the camera, like looking straight into it or something. Cause I was actually running impressed. back and forth. <laughs> yeah. I was actually kind of impressed with some of the, like the camera moves in the start and some of the action mm. that they got right into, uh, re- like skipping around a bit, reading up on it because there are scenes there's scenes where they're shooting guns, but then people are acting like they're being shot, but clearly it's not like they have squibs or anything. It's just yeah. the same thing you would do, 
you know, when you're like 12 making a YouTube video or something and you're like, ah, bullets and nothing, but you're just acting bullets are hitting you. But then in the next scene, Cagney's looking around a corner and then he runs and then the gunshots hit the corner and it blows up. And yeah. I was reading that they just used live rounds. They just started <laughs> shooting the wall after he, like he's peeking around the corner and then he runs away and then they just shoot the wall with live rounds. That's why it looks like it's being shot with fucking live rounds. Yeah. So what you're describing of like old movies being just a stationary camera and running back and forth. Like that's what I think of like early 1900s movies <laughs> where usually there wasn't talking. Um, and, but my thinking with these movies is more like they had such, they, it's such a weird balance of budget. Cause like, like I said, it was a, it was a wild west. Like no one had made movies before. Like imagine that. Cause they, they were inventing this whole new language. And I, one thing I also think of is with the Hollywood system, it's like, we have crazy weird budgets. Like we have an insane amount of people in this shot because guess what? People are cheap. It's a recession. Uh, we get a bunch <laughs> of fucking like how an, an enormous amount, like a crowd or, or whatever. And we do all sorts of camera movements and we spend lots of time on it. Uh, like, because it, it, it paid off too. Like it was big business. Uh, kind of similar to how it is now, I guess, where movies are moving more, more towards like big productions that need to pay off. Yeah, and David Chase also has another quote uh, from him. Um, Public Enemy was the movie that started my love affair with the gangster movie. It really scared me, especially at the end when Cagney falls through the door all wrapped up like a mummy. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I guess we're jumping around a bit, but it, uh, I feel like it's a really effective ending. And again, I guess it's just my low expectations on, you know, what, like an 80-year-old movie or, you know, almost yeah. a 100-year-old movie is I just assume they're not doing interesting things. But even before that, when, you know, there's a shot of uh, Cagney in the pouring rain and he's, like, staring down, like, his enemies, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, like sock hop or meet up or whatever it is. I mean, given his plan's not great, he just kind of goes in with two guns a-blazing, just ready to fire on everyone in there. And obviously, they, I mean, they don't show this big shootout, but they do some interesting stuff where, you know, you're playing with the sound and stuff off camera. And then he kind of stumbles out shot and he has the quote, what I ain't so tough as he falls into the rain uh, and gets taken to the hospital. Um, I don't know. I was just, I ended up again. I think it's just because I was like, Oh shit, old movie. Here we go. Uh, (laughs) But I was really impressed with some of the, like you said, they're inventing filmmaking and they're doing some interesting things kind of right off the bat in a weird way. Uh, Even stuff like, you know, the brother comes home, from the from the war and uh tommy at this point is kind of a nice baron and and again it's like these tommy and his friend uh why am i not i'm spacing on his friend right now yeah it they they never it's not like the they're about these capos they're just these guys that beat up people and they do good work for money they they're they're kind of still just a little bit above street hoodlums um But even at the point he comes home and then Tommy has to bring out the big keg and put it on the table. And it's just a nice visual thing that this thing's in the way of the family. And again, it's like a family dinner. And of course, Sopranos, everything is always around, you know, eating and dinner and food and all that. So it's just nice, thoughtful things they're doing when they are just flying by the seat of their pants. 
You're right, and they're uh, like I, I want to clarify my my trepidation was mostly squashed as we moved more <laughs> okay. towards like present day and stuff. It was just like I had the same sort of worry at the start of like oh old movie, you know. If you've taken any sort of film course, you've watched a lot of old movies. Uh, not all of them are gangster movies, and sometimes you get worried. But uh, like there, there's still hints of that sort of thing though, like with the brother, the way he talks. You know, it's very specific old movie way of oh, talking. Yeah. Like, no, you see, has huh? You're not gonna do that. And it's like, and then Tommy's like, I, I'm a great actor, so I'm just gonna act like a normal person would, but kind of a crazy person. Uh, and then he's like, Ah, oh, you shouldn't be doing like that over here. Oh, take this out of my arm immediately. I slap you. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and even uh, supposedly the other legend is that when uh, Mike punches him. Uh, he, the director told him to really hit him and he broke his tooth. And that's why, like, I mean, I don't know what scene they're talking about. I assume it's the one when it seems melodramatic because he falls through a table yes. after he gets punched. <laughs> but, uh, cause there are punches later on when it's just more like you throw a punch and the person just moves their head and they're like, ah, whatever, I'll punch you right back. Uh, but that one, it seems, although it seems the fakest because it just falls through a table and then he, he gets up and continues the scene. But I assume that's the one where potentially it was the real shot and it, and it broke Cagney's tooth. But he continued the scene because he's a professional. Yeah, I'm trying to I'm, – I'm having a look at it now. It does look a bit more real than, you, than, than it, it might be. It could be, could be some truth to it. But, of course, consummate professional. He doesn't break. Carries on with the scene. Uh, super melodramatic with the chair, like you said. Um but uh, yeah, so uh, well, and so well, this movie, man. <laughs> well, one moment too. I mean, and I don't, I didn't really look into this, but um, I'm just double checking really quick because uh, not to go off on a different show, but the scene when they're robbing the like brewery, it yeah. it was very reminiscent of Breaking Bad in the train thing because yeah. they're like running the pipe and they're like pulling the. Uh, booze out from the factory into like the gasoline truck or whatever and driving away with it mm-hmm. um let me double check real quick yeah it does remind me of that and i i also like the scenes where they're showing society changing like the scene where a like florist van pulls up to a liquor store and then like they throw all the flowers away because <laughs> everyone's got to buy all, all the booze by midnight yeah. uh those are all also really great as far as uh, setting the tone a bit wider than just the characters and their personal stories. And one other, one other thing, and um, it's it was weirdly expected and over the top, but also in a weird way, what I assume for the time kind of accepted, is when he's getting fitted for a suit and the, the tailor is clearly a gay guy because he yeah. makes some comment about like his muscles or whatever. But... I guess I appreciate that it's not like Tommy was like disgusted and was like, I'm not getting my suit made here. It was just kind of like, you know, I'll show what these, I'll show you what these muscles are for. Like, <laughs> don't make comments like that. Uh, it was such a bizarre, like, I guess weird offhand joke, but then also like, eh, he's a gay guy. He does what he does. It's the thirties. Who am I to judge? I'm a, <laughs> I'm a, a booze baron. So I'm not going <laughs> to put too much well, judgment you know- there. The best part or the most memorable part of the scene is, of course, the guy whose whole acting career was probably just reading these numbers, a 17 and oh. a half inches. And then he just mentions like, did you hear just 
carefully planning some information for us, the viewer, uh, the tailor says, did you read what it said in the papers? 150,000? And then he <laughs> repeats 150,000 <laughs> as well. That's good comedy, man. Well, and I guess that's another thing kind of tied to Sopranos because even though this movie is, I mean, from the disclaimers we read, there are trying to be like, oh, no, this is not the way to live, and this is a problem for the public, and we need to do something about this. They're still not yeah. afraid to have these small comedic moments with you know, these anti-heroes that they would have. And you would almost assume at first glance of being like, ah, I'm from the modern age. People back in the 30s didn't know shit. But they are you know, having a little fun with some of these characters. And, of course, Sopranos is ripe with comedy, and they handle it really well. Um, yeah. so I feel like it's kind of like another connection you would see there. And I mean, I love, it's probably wasn't meant to be a goof, but I love the scene. And again, this is another Sopranos, uh, connection to me, not before getting to the scene is we have this gangland war building because, mm -hmm. you know, Tommy's working for, uh, nails, uh, nails, Nathan, and they're going in busting heads if people don't want to buy their booze. And then Nails gets killed, but not in a gang fight. He gets killed by his horse. He gets kicked in the head. And it's, oh, such, yeah. a, it's such a Sopranos thing where it's not, it's not the mob stuff that comes in and changes everything and causes all the drama to hit. It's just a random act of life. And because we do see that Nails like, likes horses. Like, there's like a scene earlier, I think, when he's either with a horse or something or other. And now we find out that he gets killed. And this opens yep. up this vacuum and builds up this gang war. And to me, it's hilarious that they go to the stable and they yeah. buy the horse and they put two bullets in it. <laughs> I mean, it really shows sort of the decadence of violence that they've yeah. gotten to where that makes perfect sense to them. Like, they can't take it as a random act of life, as you said. They're in a world of retaliation, and this is how you solve problems. And, I mean, it's hilarious, but it also totally fits their weird worldview that they've gone into where it's like, well, yeah, we're going to take that. Like, it's not, they, they, I don't even, well... Maybe they enjoyed it. I don't know. But it's like, it's like the code. We got to take that horse out, man. Yeah. And uh, if that was a whole other movie where it was just like trying to assassinate a horse, I would also watch that movie. <laughs> and uh, again, this is this isn't spoilers, but it's touching on things we haven't seen yet. Uh, I don't know if it was if it's for sure a reference to this film, but horses do play an important part uh later on in sopranos as we'll see as we go through the episodes i mean because we already know tony has a thing with animals with the ducks i'll just mm -hmm. say horses play an important part so I, I i would say it's very reminiscent of this movie um and i mean of course the godfather i mean there's a famous scene with the horse head in the bed so it all we could trace it all back here to the public enemy uh, when they get revenge on that horse that, that didn't uh, nails Nathan. Yeah, and in The Godfather, they remixed it a bit, and they were like, how about instead of taking revenge on the horse, we do it? Well, I guess they kind of did as well. I guess, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And if they are going to do big horse things in The Sopranos, <laughs> yeah. I imagine that Hesh will be involved because there has all right because there's already been a scene of him like oh, looking yeah, he, at horses he has like a stable or something i believe yeah. they've been they've been yeah. there and had their like therapy where neither of them listen to each other yeah uh just a couple of call outs just a couple of random things i made notes on like first their friend larry dies during one of their big heists 
and um, they go to the funeral and like, you know, his family, obviously they're crying at his funeral, but then they cut to like a side room and the cops are there. Like the cops are at the funeral and they're like, ah, that's what he gets. See, you know, he shouldn't have been out there. And it just, it was hilarious to me that they went there to kind of rub it in, in a weird way to just be yeah. like, ah, I mean, obviously I, it was probably just easier to be like, all right, we'll just film this all together and we could show that the cops think it's no big deal because they killed this guy for being a, uh, you know, being a thief. And I like the way that scene played out. The heist where, like, they're trying to steal some fur coats and they pull it off and there's, like, a bear s- statue or something <laughs> underneath and he gets scared. Yeah. So they start shooting it in the face. Yeah. Um, and that sets up with they get kind of backstabbed in a way by, um, is that Putty, I believe? That's pu- Putty Nose. And it's like, what he did, was it even that bad? Like, he went on the lamb because you guys fucked up, kind of? Yeah, yeah. And again, like kind of going back to like having vision without having without, you know, these days it's common to be like, oh, this is an homage to the scene from The Godfather. And it's like this is we did the camera move from uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey as an homage to this. But when they're making the public enemy, they're not they don't have a lot to go on. But it's really artfully done when Putty gets killed. Because it's yeah. like, and, and the way it plays out where he's, um, you know, begging, um, I keep spacing on, on Tommy's friend. Let me Matt. pull up the cast real quick. Yeah, Matt. And then it kind of goes to him trying to play. Like, remember the song when we were, when you were kids, I'd play the song all oh, the time. Yeah. And it's such a classic, you know, over dramatic mob hit type scene because it's like someone at a piano and then someone behind them with a gun, but then they can kind of pan away uh, and and play it off screen. But again, it's just stuff that I was impressed with, mostly because I had low expectations. But it's just interesting to see those things still playing out uh, in gangster films now. Uh, just different variations. Obviously, we could do a lot more. And especially with the violence, you can do a lot more these days with effects. But it's yeah. the same spirit uh, that they were kicking back in the public enemy. Yeah, and honestly, if you want to like get like, I, I, there's a reason they show this stuff when you go to one of these film courses or whatever, yeah. because you're gonna notice it. Uh, when we're watching something right now, we so often don't notice what's going on in the visual storytelling, and that's why we do a podcast to discuss it. And like, I could have watched Sopranos in uh, two weeks, all of it, uh, <laughs> but we're not doing that. We're doing this because we want to like get more aware of like these tips and tricks that you can use in your own creativity. And um, I think it's really helpful to look at these old ones because uh, you're going to notice it more when they do stuff like that. And like you said, they're doing it off the cuff. Like Mm. this was something that was quickly developing uh, as it was happening. I mean, yeah, the films had been around for a fair while, but they were changing at a rapid pace. Not to say that they're not doing that now too, but like you said like panning away there's visual stuff going on especially the beer keg you mentioned like uh, there's some shot where putty nose is uh, gonna shoot at billiards uh, or pool and he's just leaning back and his ass kind of gets all in tommy's face showing he doesn't really like respect him but it's also just visually funny as well um so so that's definitely a reason to watch these things and relate them to more modern modern stuff like, you know, The Sopranos. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, some of the other, like, trivia on this movie is that 
Edward Woods, who played uh, Matt, was supposed to be was originally hired for the lead role of Tommy, and Cagney was supposed to play uh, Matt Doyle. But then the director, you know, once he got to get to know both of them, did the old switcheroo. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's just another interesting thing. And you, you got to wonder how that plays out when you're the other guy. And you're like, oh, wait, but I, I'm Tom Powers. That's the funner role. You know, I get to be the, the lead and I get to push push grapefruits in women's faces and uh, be the cool guy. I get to get to do the cool gun, sh- uh, gun scenes and kill other people and shit. Yeah, and this was round about James Cagney's like third film, or I don't know, something like that. Or maybe that's not completely accurate, but as far as his filmography that I've got pulled up, he's been in like a million movies. Mm-hmm. As one of his early ones, and Matt, uh, whatever the actor's name is, when you go to his Wikipedia, it says, mostly known for playing this fucking sidekick idiot in <laughs> The Public Enemy. And uh, he had some other roles too, but you know, them's the breaks. And he he is a more of a pretty boy, so it would have made sense for the time. But Cagney has more character and expression to him, and he's he's got the likable rogue and kind of a misfit feel to him that uh, it just works. Yeah, and then um, kind of going off of yeah, Cagney based his performance on Chicago gangster Dean O'Banion and two New York City hoodlums he had known as a kid. Further connection to the O'Banion reference is the bad guys in the film are led by Schemer Burns, which is an obvious reference to real-life Schemer Drucci, who is part of the <laughs> Northside gang. But that again, like this, these are people that are like still alive, and they're just kind of loosely referencing them in this gangster film. Now, I mean, I'm sure it's still like even today, uh, uh, if you're in like the mob or something, I'm sure they watch Sopranos and they're like, ah, oh, yeah, this is just like it is, or they got that way off. But it, you, you got to get a kick out of it if you're this guy and you're like, ah, oh, cool, they named a they named a villain after me. That's awesome. I'm the best. Well, yeah, just like in the Sopranos, like you can't be a gangster without being affected by gangster films, oh, yeah. uh, and. Uh, like because it feeds off each other much of the fascination comes from that and the like the myth like we said that that gets propped up uh by these films um so what's what's your overall judgment great film must see everyone must see this with their eyes well i mean i would say if you're into if you're into gangster films and you know the sopranos which i assume you are if you're listening to a sopranos podcast 20 years after uh, the show premiered, I would say Probably, it's, yeah. it's definitely a must-see if you're into that stuff because especially with The Sopranos, I think you'll get a kick out of it. It's 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 84 minutes or something like that. So, yeah. it, I mean, I was a little concerned at first. I was like, oh, no, is this going to be like – because a lot of movies are like long. Uh, I don't know if it's because, <laughs> you know, they're just like we need to earn that nickel or whatever it was. Uh, I was a little concerned it was going to be long and drag a bit, but I feel like it, it goes pretty pretty fast and especially, I mean, there's some stuff that kind of goes nowhere because you get the sense that when they made movies, you know, there's constant, a scene will fade out and then it fades into another scene. There's not this huge arc always going on because, you know, we have to we have to hang out with the women characters who are evil uh, in a weird way because <laughs> there's this subplot where uh, Putty's girl like takes advantage of a drunk Tommy and even oh, Tommy's yeah. like, get out of here. Oh, not Putty. I'm sorry. Um uh, who? Because there's the other. It's like Polly or something like that. Or yeah, Patty. the boss. I, I, yeah, Patty. Because okay. at first it was confusing. I had to turn on the um, 
subtitles because obviously audio recording wasn't the best. So some of the yeah. stuff some sounds muddled and they're talking about Patty and Putty and I'm trying to figure out who's who. But yeah, there's a there's a moment where Patty's girl is like so taken by Tommy that even even though he's wasted, she has to take advantage of him, uh, which I thought was going to come back somewhat in the end. And I guess you could read it maybe. But at the end, Patty's like, I'm going to hand it. I'm going to hang it all up just for the good of Tommy. I, I just want them to bring I love him this home. kid. Yeah, yeah, he's a good kid. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, speaking of how immensely attracted she suddenly was to him, let's talk about the attractiveness of these characters, Jim, like we always <laughs> do. Um, this lady who shows up where, uh, you know, Tommy's like, oh, my God, this lady in the streets, I'm going to forget about my girlfriend. That's fine and all. He's a lovable rogue, etc. But I'm kind of like, yeah, another lady? Like, there, she, she's not super much more attractive than the other lady you got, but I guess she's... To him, she's got that it, that it to her. Like she's she's from a, she's a she's a weirdo like me kind of. Well, is, that what's, is that what's going on? It was a weird thing they were doing that because that's Jean Harlow, I believe. She plays Gwen, and not that I've seen a bunch of these movies, but I know that name, and I believe she's not even like credited in the movie. Um, but because they play around with that, because then there's a later scene. Where the way Tommy's talking is that they haven't had sex, basically, and she's been stringing him along. And they kind of play her oh, yeah. character up as this, like, temptress that knows the score in a way, but isn't giving in and is playing Tommy, but it never really goes anywhere. Um, yeah. And, and then and, she's. And she's, she's okay. Sorry to cut you off. I was yes. just going to say she's definitely credited. She's the second one they show in the credits at oh, the start. Oh, okay. Uh, I read so, one so of Someone like, said uncredited. I don't know why I read that somewhere, but whatever. <laughs> well, it's just. It, that's the reason. It's, it almost feels like she's in it just because we need to have her, this actress rather than this character. That's a little bit what it felt like because you had the girlfriend character and then this other character was kind of... It's like that was some part of the Hollywood system oh, where it was like, oh, we got to have these two girls in here. I'm sorry. Let me correct what I said. It's Mae Clark who's uncredited. She's uncredited as Kitty. She's the one that gets the grapefruit stu uh, stuck in her face. I'm sorry. I I'm uh, mistaken that. But yeah, it, it's a weird... Uh, it does feel like she's credited in it because she's probably more of a name, especially at the time. And yeah. it, that scene when they're talking about sex and kind of going heavy on the innuendo, I have to imagine was pretty risque for the time. Uh, yeah. So I feel like that's obviously a big part of it as well. Cause it's like a provocative scene. Um, and not that it's like nudity or it's this like graphic sex scene or anything, but from what I assume like film was even pre code, it seems like it was a big deal what they were doing. Yeah. So um, I, I just wanted to mention as well, there's the, 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 the part where he's getting taken advantage of is when they're all sort of holed up. And when it got to that point, like whatever I may have said earlier, it's like I'm really like on the edge of my seat <laughs> by then because I'm so familiar as well from The Sopranos and stuff like that where it's like things are slowly building, but then they're building fast and then suddenly shit's serious and we can't leave the building unless there's three of us and we all got guns and... Uh, Patty, if that was his name, is like, give me your weapons, so you, I know you will leave if if you, uh, if you have your guns, because you're all reckless idiots. Give me your weapons, and then, like, I don't know that that whole sequence was kind of interesting and something I feel like I've seen other versions of. Yes, yeah, yeah, it plays out nice. And going back to some of the comedy, like after that, when um, 
Tommy leaves and then, you know, his friend gets killed and he's looking for revenge. When he goes to the gun store and it's funny oh, yeah. when the guy keeps turning around to show him a gun, he has to point the gun away from him. Like it's just like a funny little move that he has to do twice because even yes. the gun store owner is so dumb about guns that he's like excited. Like this is a 38. He's like, oh, OK, and he pushes it away. And then it's it's also just a great gag the way he robs it because he loads the gun there in front of him. And then he's like, stick him up. See? Uh, and then I swear like the the store owner gives almost like a Jim Halpert office look to the camera, like as he's being robbed for the guns. <laughs> so I'm calling it uh, office. Uh, office is heavily influenced by the public enemy. <laughs> yes, it it it, it uh, reaches deep this uh, this film and, and many references uh, th- throughout filmic history. Now he definitely does like a laugh when that happens, and that's kind of great. Um, but. Before I forget, I did want to mention we always tell our dear listeners that you can send feedback to shows what you know show at gmail.com. We did get an email from Spencer uh, who wrote in saying that he uh, just wants to send some random thoughts about season two. The season actually is my favorite. If you exclude 6B, uh, <laughs> this is all code to me, but I guess that's <laughs> the last part of the last season. You know, I, I remember they split it up and whatever. I know it's not as intense as other seasons, but I find myself looking forward to it every rewatch, more than any other season, again, except 6B. In season two, they really started experimenting with uh, more standalone-ish episodes, which is one of the things that keeps me watching the show over and over. Uh, Commandatory, D-Girl, The Happy Wanderer, Big Girls Don't Cry, etc. And then he says season three was amazing too, of course. Uh, I think it kind of depends on your personal preference for character arcs. Uh, Jackie Jr.'s story is entertaining enough, but it never hit me the same way as the arcs of Big Pussy and Richie. To me, season three is all about, and then he says three characters that he thinks season three is all about. It's definitely not a spoiler. Should I say it? Doesn't really um, matter. Yeah, I was going to say, I should you even be reading this? <laughs> but, <laughs> I actually glanced through it to make sure uh, there's nothing in there. Um, so, uh, yeah, I shouldn't, but yes. Uh, so I'm not saying season two is objectively superior. It's just my jam for whatever reason. I think it depends how each character hits each viewer because they're so fully developed and realistic. Season two is also relatively light compared to three and on maybe i shouldn't be reading this and as i watch this show more i appreciate the slower episodes more and discover comedy i didn't notice before like you mentioned jim so maybe that has something to do with the type of sopranos fan i am not sure um and he says stoked for season three solid choice on public enemy for the companion film i haven't seen it but i know it's david chase's favorite movie in addition to playing a huge part in season three so there's a lot to bite into keep up the good work this email is rambly off the cuff blah blah (laughs) he says pick out anything that stands out i just read it verbatim there you go spencer and I mean, going back over it, no, it's fine. I mean, basically, the only thing, you, the only thing really, it's not a spoiler. I mean, Jackie Jr. was introduced at the end of season two. You're just going to see more of Jackie Jr., which I guess can be assumed because the other appeals that we know, Jackie and Richie are out of the picture, and we were introduced to this character. So we'll just go from there. Uh, we did get another email as well, uh, which uh, we didn't get a chance to read. I could read that as well. Um, yeah. Three-month listener, first-time emailer. For the per- for the past two and a half years, uh, this is from Rafi Cooper, by the way. Uh, for the past two and a half years, The Sopranos has been not only my favorite show of all time, but also holds its own against pretty much any film or film franchise I can think of. And your discussions are super insightful, and listening to them is always a highlight of my week. 
The Sopranos prequel, uh, prequel, The Many Saints of Newark, has just headed slightly closer to production as they selected a director, Alan Taylor, a veteran of many shows, including some of the best episodes of Sopranos, but only one of which you have re- reviewed so far, uh, Pac Soprano. Don't look ahead, Jacob. Uh, I, <laughs> I remember that a few weeks ago. You guys wondered if multiple episodes of a TV show can get nominated for writing in one Emmy ceremony, and the answer is yes. Uh, indeed. In fact, unsurprisingly, The Sopranos had multiple years where they took up three or four out of the five nods for best dramatic writing. Uh, you guys have talked about spotting actors who you know from other shows or movies. Well, currently in the midst of my third watch of this series, I noticed Samir, one of the main characters from Mike Judge's office space within the crowd at Christopher's acting class in Big Girls Don't Cry and wonder how I never noticed him before as one of my favorite comedies. Yes, he is the uh, he's he's in. Chris's team, I believe, um, from the dude from Office Space. Um, uh, yeah. I just binge watched season one of Cobra Kai and love to hear your guys' thoughts on it as it's surprisingly great. I do agree with that, and we do need to do. I know we're kind of late passing on it, but we have been yeah. meaning to talk about Cobra Kai. We we just keep mentioning how we need to do it, and then we talk about Sopranos every week. Uh, I mean, not the Sopranos would get interrupted. We're just trying to fit it in because we've had The Handmaid's Tale, we have yeah. Westworld, and at this point, I need to rewatch Cobra Kai, but I don't mind because I watched it uh, quite a while ago now, and uh, like you said, I was surprised uh, by how great it was. Yeah, and uh, last thing here, thanks for reviewing Space a while back because it reminded me how genius it is and caused me to rewatch it. Keep up the good work. So yeah, a couple great emails. Really appreciate that, um, and we'd love to hear your thoughts, whether it be on Public Enemy, because I think there's still some more to dive into, especially as we get into Season 3, and in, of course, Sopranos or any other show you're digging right now. Yeah, I will say I was trying as I was watching the movie. I was like, how are they going to play this in The Sopranos? Like, what scenes are going to show up? I don't remember my exact thoughts, but there were a couple of points where I was like, I bet we're going to see this part. <laughs> like, I bet we're going to see that part. Probably something in the rain. And I was thinking, like, oh, it can't be something, like, just... if You, you have to be able to tell it's a gangster movie. <laughs> but then I just heard the clip at the beginning where he just comes in, Tony, like, Mr. Exp- like Mr. Exposition, like, oh, this old gangster classic, I love it. Um, <laughs> great movie. So, yeah, great movie. They can definitely use whatever they like. Uh, uh, I expect to see something from the rain, maybe him falling over at the end. Uh, of course, you mentioned the mother, so I expect that. I will say, when he was there, uh, at the end of the film, just through knowing uh, drama, I knew it wasn't going to be good at the end, obviously. Oh, yeah. Um, but I couldn't tell that he was supposed to be dead and then he fell over, and then it was like, the fate of this character is blah, blah, like the title card. And I was like, was he supposed to be dead? And I checked Wikipedia, like, oh, yeah, he's dead. Okay. Oh, yeah, he died. <laughs> yep, he's dead there. He dead. Um, but yes, and also, uh, as uh, the latest email mentioned, we do discuss other television shows. If you only follow our Sopranos coverage, please do check out showswhatyouknow.com, where you could always leave a review on the Shows What You Know feed, tell us what show you would like us to check into, and we'll try to fit it in between all the Sopranos. We do have some time we're trying to kill in between uh, episodes here, because The Handmaid's Tale's wrapping up, so is Westworld's already done. It's like, what are we supposed to do with all this time, Jim? Well, I mean, we should have some things on the horizon. If uh, you Sopranos fans are into Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul, we should be discussing the new season of Better Call Saul at our uh, It's All Good Man podcast. Uh, Yes. And we will be discussing the new Hulu show Castle Rock at, uh, I believe, Entering Castle Rock. 
Uh, you'll see it. It's on our website. <laughs> we have don't blame us. We have so many shows, you guys. It's uh, hard to keep up with them. Uh, but yes, Castle Rock, the new uh, the, the new Stephen King show, basically the yep. Stephen King multiverse show uh, or cinematic universe uh, show. Uh, we've got high hopes, and we're going to see it, whether they pan out. I mean, that's the worry with new shows. You never know if it's going to pan out. That's why I always appreciate sitting down and watching an episode of The Sopranos because they already have it guaranteed by people telling me for 20 years, oh, you need to watch The Sopranos. You need to watch this. I already know it's going to be good. It's a relaxing relaxing experience for me. Yes, yeah, and I guess that about does. I guess the last thing then I would ask uh, as far as uh, your opinion, Public Enemy must watch. Hmm. Hmm. It's, it's, I mean, yeah, like you said, if you're into this, if, if you have already seen the classics, I mean, this is a classic, that sounded like an insult, <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I don't know, I'm like, a, The Godfather is a must-see. Public Enemy is like something you watch and you're like, holy shit, all this started here? Yeah. It's not necessarily in itself going to be like a mind-blowing film, but it is like, a lot, like a lot of stuff, when you dig into the basis of of, of film, like the first few th- ones, um, it didn't necessarily hit me super hard, like emotionally by itself. But it was like, wow, this is fascinating to watch. Yeah, I agree. Well, and uh, welcome aboard, people, as we're about to get into season three. We'll be back next week with episode one of season three, Mr. Ruggiero's Neighborhood. So, Yay, finally. Like, I mean, again, I'll just mention... I did move to another country, so that's why we've had a, a slight break here. Uh, and I've not watched an episode of The Sopranos in probably longer than since before we started doing this show. So I'm really antsy to get back into it and uh, get you that coverage. But Jim, there's just one more thing. Oh, what's that? Cut to black. And we're out. Cool.